We're in a series, it's entitled, God's Masterpiece. And it's all about what God wants to do in your life, how He wants to shape you and mold you and hold you up to show off His craftsmanship in the life of a believer. Now, why is this important? It's important because when you were born again, you were recreated. You were made into a new creation. The intention is that we would become like Christ. We not only take on His nature, but we demonstrate His nature in our daily lives. You open up your Bible and look at Romans 5, and it tells us how the process of being made into God's masterpiece begins. You want to be God's masterpiece? This is how it begins. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, I like this, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. It's not merely a subjective feeling of peace. But no, it's actually, it talks about our status, the status of peace that we have with God. We have a standing with God, and that standing, I like this, it's a peaceable standing, that we are friends with God. We are in a relationship with God. Once we were His enemies, now we're His friends. So, the process, it does begin at the moment of faith, salvation, and then Romans 5, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith. There it is again. Faith gets us in, and faith gets us moving. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, what does it mean we have access Jesus ushered us into the presence of God. Oh, we have access to God through Christ. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the heavy curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The temple separated the back part of the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple where no one could get in except the high priest. That temple was torn, signifying now the barrier to God has been removed in Christ. And our confidence that the purpose for which God created us will be realized. Think about that. The purpose for which God created you. And what is that purpose? To be his masterpiece. And God, yes, he works in our life and it's all grace. Think about it. God working in our lives is grace. Now, as Christians, we desire God's hand, handiwork in our lives to make us his masterpiece. But there are things that he does that I think sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we pray for things. We pray for God's help, but we don't understand the way in which he's going to help us. There are certain things that we ask for in order for this process to take place. And I'm going to give you 10 things today that you probably prayed for many of them that these things would help you in your spiritual walk. 
Tell me, well, you can't tell me, but think if you've ever asked for any of these things. Because I want you to see today, God answers our prayers in unexpected ways. What did he say? (laughs) God answers our prayers in unexpected ways. Let me show you. Number one, do you ever pray for patience? Oh, yeah. We pray for patience, and what does God do? God sends tribulation. Huh. We also rejoice, Romans 5.3. We rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. The word perseverance is the word hupomone. It means a patient enduring. So it's like, God, give me patience. Okay. So he sets up a situation where we have to learn patience. And then perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character brings about hope. Okay. Now, what is hope? Hope is actually the word elpis. And elpis means confident expectation. So we know when it's all said and done, we have a confident expectation of the glory of God, of being in heaven. Life could have its bumps and bruises, but we have confidence that we'll end up in heaven. Secondly, you may pray for unselfishness. Hey, God, I don't want to be selfish. I want to be unselfish. So what does God do? He makes you a sacrifice. Romans 12.1 Present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There it is. So think about it. You want to learn to be unselfish? Then be a sacrifice. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. You want to be unselfish? Regard others as more important than you. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. See, that's how you become unselfish. Thirdly, God, we pray, help me to be obedient to your word. Oh God, I want to be obedient. So what does God do? (laughs) He sends suffering. Say, what? What does suffering have to do with obedience? Well, let's look at Jesus. In Hebrews 5, verse 8, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Wow. Suffering teaches obedience. We want obedience. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were obedient with what I gave you. But we learn obedience through suffering, through difficult times. We pray for strength. Oh, God, give me strength. I want to be strong in my faith. So what does God do? He sends us seemingly unbearable pressure. Right? You know, it's like you go to the gym. Why? Because you want to be strong. And what do you do? You put weights on the bar and you lift it and you lift it. And when it gets a little easier, you put more weights and you lift it and you lift it. You never say, okay, I'm strong enough. No, you put more weights. 
He's going to get a little stronger and a little stronger. That's that pressure that you're lifting. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul said, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. We despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see what he's saying? Listen, it wasn't our strength that got us through these unbearable burdens. We put our trust in God. We didn't put our trust in our muscles. We didn't put our trust in our cleverness. We didn't put our trust in our human reasoning. We put our trust in God. And we know God's got all the power because he raises the dead. You know what? It takes a lot of power to raise the dead. Oh, yeah. You ever try to get a teenager out of bed? <laughs> That's like raising the dead. God raised the literal dead, and that's power. And Paul said, that's the power. So in my unbearable circumstances, the burdens that are weighing me down, I'm going to look to God, and God will develop my strength within me. Why? Because I want to be his masterpiece. That's why. One writer said, the tribulation was of such a nature as to take away all expectation of help, but from God alone. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where it's like, man, I'm not getting any help. No one can help me. But wait, God can. God alone. And it's not unreasonable for God to put us in a place where no one can or will help us except him. Say, well, why would he do that? Because he wants to be our help. He wants to be our strength. Because when he does that, he gets the glory. So we think about these things that we're praying for. And it's ultimately to make us like Christ. That's the goal. See, we don't hear preaching like that, where the goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ. The preaching we hear today, oh, the goal of the Christian life is to bless you, is to prosper you, is to make you happy, is to give you what you want. No, that's not the goal. Show me that in Scripture. The goal of the Christian life is to make you like Christ. And when you become like Christ, you become God's masterpiece. God is glorified. Did you ever pray for humility? Oh, God, make me humble. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to be arrogant. Make me humble. So you know what God does? (laughs) He sends mean people into our lives. (laughs) Get any mean people in your life? God will send them. Why? Because you want to be humbled. Say, what? How does that work? Well, let's look at Isaiah 53, verse 7. It speaks about the Lord, the Lord Jesus. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and yet, He did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. You know why? 
He had humility. Jesus could have gotten out of it. He could have escaped the garden. When that God in Herod's court slapped Jesus, he could have slapped him back. Who do you think you're hitting? What's wrong with you? Slap him back? He could have slapped Herod. Pontius Pilate said, don't you know I have authority to kill you or let you go free? And Jesus could have turned him into a block of wood. But no, he said, you know what? The only authority you have over me is from my father, so my father will have his way. I'm submitted to my father. That's humility. Humility is being submitted to God. And that's why we walk by faith. Faith pleases God. Now, if faith pleases God, did you ever pray for more faith? God, increase my faith. Oh, I want to be a faithful person. Give me faith. That's a beautiful prayer. So what does God do? (laughs) He sends a storm. No, God, I didn't pray for a storm. I prayed for faith. He sent a storm. Why did he send a storm? He didn't pray for that. Because the storm develops your faith. Oh, like in Matthew 8, verse 26. They're in the boat. The storm's in the boat. And Jesus said, why are you guys afraid? Men of little faith. This storm came to increase your faith, but you got little faith. So Jesus, all right, he got up, rebuked the winds in the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Why? Because Jesus had faith. Jesus wasn't afraid of the storm. Why? Because he had faith. The disciples were afraid of the storm. Why? Because their faith was little, a tiny, little faith. Just a little bit. Jesus had great faith. He said, I'm not afraid of this storm. I got faith. See, we want faith comes by hearing. But sometimes faith comes by trusting. Let's remember that. Faith comes by trusting God in the storm. Faith develops when sickness visits the house. Faith develops when your money takes wings and flies away. Faith is developed when unexpected trials enter in. All the while, these are opportunities to increase our faith. See, the things we pray for, they're good. But God could answer them in unexpected ways. We pray to be made like Jesus. Oh, I want to be like Jesus, right? Don't we? We go to church every week. We sing loud. We give money. We we read the Bible. I want to be like Jesus. So what does God do? He makes us servants. Huh. Like in John chapter 13, verse 4. Remember the last Passover meal they had before Christ went to the cross? It tells us Jesus got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself, in other words, he wrapped it around himself, and then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. Like, what? Is there anything more noble, more dignified, 
more attractive in the eyes of God than servanthood. I'd say no. You know why? Because Jesus was a servant. There's no one more noble to God than Christ. There's no one more attractive to God. And there's no one more dignified to God than Christ, his own son. And how did he do it? By being a servant. That's how. D.L. Moody said, The measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. Oh, I like that. The measure of a man. Mother Teresa, she said, and by the way, isn't she a servant of servants? No one can come to you without feeling better and happier when they leave. That's what she said. Let no one come to you without feeling better and happier when they leave. In other words, your life was a blessing to them. They came to you one way and they left very happy, very joyful. Why? Because in your own way, you were a servant to them. Maybe it was with kind words. Maybe it was was with compassion or sensitivity or understanding or a listening ear. But see, you can serve people that way. You can serve people by listening to them. Listening to their story. Billy Graham said, Unless our belief in God causes us to help our fellow man, our faith stands condemned. Woo! James, he's kind of like taking off of what James said. James said, faith without works is dead, right? Show me a man that has faith, I'll show you a man that has works. Right? Faith is always evidenced by works. By good works. By the things that we do. That's how faith is evidenced, okay? So think about it. True greatness in the Christian life is servanthood. That's true greatness. Not the great preacher. Not the great teacher. Not the great businessman. Or even the great evangelist. No. The servant. The servant is great in the kingdom of God. Boy, that levels the playing field, doesn't it? Because anybody can be a servant. You don't have to go to Bible school, seminary. You don't have to have a degree. You just have to have the presence of the Spirit in your heart and the desire to be like Christ by being a servant. So, think about it. We pray to be made like Jesus. And God says, be a servant. Did you ever pray for gentleness? You got some rough edges. Sharp edges, they cut. God, make me gentle. So what does God do? He sends into your life someone who's not gentle. Someone who is harsh. And then the Apostle Paul speaks in Philippians 4. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Oh, gentleness doesn't just go to the gentle. Gentleness goes to all people even the harsh person, right? A soft answer turns away wrath, right? Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men, especially those who you work with, those who you worship with, those who you live with, 
They might be harsh. They might be coarse. We are apt, did you ever notice, we're apt to be more kind to strangers than those we truly value and love? It seems like places we frequent the most, we can become familiar. I've been guilty of that, becoming familiar. I'm familiar with friends, family, co-workers. You get familiar, and you let your, lot, your, 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 your guard down. And you start to lose that little bit of gentleness. But wait, we have to be gentle, Paul said, to all people. Everybody. You ever pray for quietness? Oh, God, I need quiet. So what does God do? <laughs> he sends chaos. Why? <laughs> Why does he do that? Chaos teaches us how to be quiet. See, all these things have to be learned. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So be anxious for nothing. That means that there's things in your life that make you anxious. There's things in your life that give you anxiety. So you take those things and you let them work quietness in you. I'm going to learn quietness by the things that try to take away my quietness. Are you following me? Are you with me on this? Because God, yes, he answers our prayers in unexpected ways. Here's the last one I have for you. Do you ever pray to be more loving? God, I just want to love more. Help me to love more. So what does God do? He sends unlovely people into our lives so we can love more. And Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. So God brings people into our lives that do these things. They're not kind. They are jealous. They do act unbecomingly. They do add up our wrongs. They, they do rejoice in our failures. So Paul is saying, you want to learn how to love? then love not just those that love you, but love those that don't know how to love. Because in verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Want to learn how to love? Then you Bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. And then he said, love never fails. Never? To manufacturers guarantee, love never fails. So accept every circumstance, every trial, straight from the hands of God. Do not merely live here on the earth, but live up in the heavenly places and the very presence of his throne, 
and look down from glory to that which is lovingly and divinely appointed. Look at your life from a heavenly perspective. You see your life and all the things that are going on. Instead of looking at your life from where you are on the earth, put yourself in heaven and look down. And have a divine perspective. And see how God is moving all the pieces and working in your life. And then act accordingly. And you will become God's masterpiece. You'll become like Christ. And it'll hold you up for all the angels to see. Look what I can do in the life of a person that's yielded to me. That's the key. Yielded to God. And he holds up before the world. He holds us up before the world. We're like a light on a lampstand. Look at what I can do in a life that is yielded to me. God wants to show you off to be his masterpiece. Next time we're together, we're going to ask the question, shall I not drink God's cup? Hmm. Where did that cup show up in the Bible before? You know where. You think there's a cup for you? A cup for me? I think there's a cup. I think there's a cup for all of us. And the question is, shall I not drink the cup? If I don't drink the cup, what will happen? If I do drink the cup, what will happen? We'll have two different outcomes depending upon what we do with the cup. I'll tell you what, this becoming a masterpiece, it's not easy. No, (laughs) it's not easy work. You don't like go to sleep and have a nice dream and wake up and you're a masterpiece. Got to go through it. You got to go through the working of God. The master's hands are on your life. He wants to shape you and mold you. And shape you into the image of his son. Because like I said, there's no one more noble, no one more dignified, no one more beautiful than Jesus. And you know what? He wants to do that with you. Don't jump off the easel. Don't jump off the potter's wheel. Let the master have his way.